come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of the faithful, and enkindle in us the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, and we shall be created, and, and you shall renew the, the face of the earth. Of the earth. Saint John Fisher, pray, pray for, for us. Saint Philip Neri, pray, pray for, for us. us. Our Lady, Mother of the Church, pray, pray for, for us. us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, thank you, Father Hugh. Um, well, it's a great pleasure for me to um, come here and give a talk, uh, particularly to come and give a talk on confession. Um, confession's a topic dear to my heart. It should be, I suppose, dear to every priest's heart, that we spend quite a lot of time hearing confessions. And so the title of this talk is um, How to Make Better Use of Confession, How to Make a Better Confession. So if you imagine if you're at the receiving end of that, what you really want is for people to be giving you stuff that's um, well put together. So that's what I'm hopefully going to try and offer you tonight. I want to start by um, giving you, in a sense, a question. Um, what does the person sitting next to you say when they go to confession? Because you don't know. The only confession, apart from Father Hugh, who's heard confessions, um, the only confession you know is your own. And so one of my first experiences when I was ordained and became a priest was listening to somebody else make a confession and realizing that they said very different things to me. Not just that the particular sins were different, but that their whole way of approaching it was different. And so among the things that meant is I listened and I heard people who made better confessions than I did. And I realized, actually, there were better ways to use confession than the way I had. And, you know, you'd have thought if I'd been through seminary and all kinds of other formation gifts that had been given to me by the church, I'd have already been doing it well. But actually, listening to other people make confessions was a great gift that way. So what I want to try and give you tonight is something to help you make a better confession. And maybe with that, give you a little warning that maybe you don't make a good confession now. Because I hear good confessions as a priest. I also hear some pretty lousy confessions as a priest. Um, and it's incredibly rare for me to listen to somebody and say, boy, that was a rubbish confession. Because <laughs> as you can imagine, that would be a pretty devastating thing to be told. Um, people would leave confession broken. Um, and one of our general principles in hearing confessions is to avoid saying things that will put people off coming to confession again. So just because a priest has never said to you, that's a lousy confession, um, doesn't mean he's not thinking it. Um, so I'm trying to encourage you to think critically about the way you confess and to be open to the thought of reevaluating the way you go to confession. So tonight I'm going to talk about a few different things. I'm going to talk about what we bring into confession, what we should say when we're at confession, but also what we can take out of confession to help that confession change our lives. So I want to start with, in a sense, a very basic question. How often should we go to confession? Um, so you've probably heard, you know, the kind of standard advice is to go monthly. But there's a whole kind of spectrum that the law of the church could put before us. There's a once a year practice. Um, St. John Paul II went to confession every day. <coughs> Where should you be within that spectrum? 
Well, let me give you an image. Um, a car engine has lots of different bits in it that are whirring, doing different things. Now, if there's something wrong in the engine, one bit will be going faster than another bit. And one bit might not be moving at all, or barely ticking over. Whereas when the engine's working right, all the bits are turning at the right speed in relation to each other. So the answer to the question, how often should you go to confession, depends on the speed of the other bits in your spiritual life. So confession is one of the tools of growing in holiness. So how often you should go to confession should depend on what use you're making of the other tools to growing in holiness. So there's a legal minimum. The second precept of the church, you must confess your sins at least once a year. that um, goes with the precept to go to communion once a year. So if you only go to communion once a year, correspondingly go to confession once a year. If, however, you go to Mass every day, uh, rather every week, but don't do anything more than every week, then monthly confession would be a corresponding speed. Um, but if you don't just go to confession, uh, go to Mass on Sunday, but you also do a bit more of some of the tools of the spiritual life, that you practice some form of prayer, of spiritual reading, of daily rosary, and so forth, then your frequency of confession should correspondingly be a bit more. So St. Francis de Sales, um, who wrote the book The Introduction to the Devout Life, uh, one of my favorite books, um, 18th century classic that weaves together all of the wisdom of the previous 18th century of, of wisdom of the church, he recommends the practice of going to confession every week. Um, that's the practice, uh, the 1917 Code of Canon Law made that a legal requirement for all nuns and monks. Um, and it's the practice today that you find in what are called the new ecclesial movements, that those seeking to grow in holiness making use of the means to holiness, weekly confession um, is a corresponding tool to be using. So, how often to go to confession? Depends on the speeds of the other bits in your spiritual life. I want to say a bit now about the structure of your confession. When you go in there, you've got your sins, how do you structure your confession. What do you say first? How much do you spend on different things? Well, I want to make the point to you that there should be a, a method. There should be a kind of process that you're using. So first, you need to prioritize your sins. Which are the sins that are most important to confess? Well, obviously, confession is primarily about the forgiveness of mortal sins. So mortal sins have to be very clearly and definitely articulated in your confession. And in your prioritizing, you need to be sure you get those said. You can also think, since your last confession, what is the most serious sin? Maybe it wasn't mortal, but nonetheless, in comparison to other things going on in your life, that the thing that matters is your relationship with your sister and what you and your sister have been whatever, um, or it might be someone at work or whatever, that what is the serious issue, the serious sin 
um, since your last confession, and that that should have a priority of place within your confession. You can also think of what are your most common sins since your last confession, um, which might not be something hugely serious in itself, but its frequency might make it something worth in the structure of your confession, making sure it's clearly articulated there at the beginning. And then something I'm going to come back to later um, would be sins against your particular examine, some aspect of your life that maybe you're doing reasonably well in, but that you're a battle you're fighting to do even better in. And because that's your focus, um, that should therefore have a pride of place in the structure of your confession. So, what to confess? Prioritize those sins. Think about what is more important to be said. Then think about the detail you're going to bring to confession. Um, you want to bring useful detail, but not irrelevant detail. So you need, you know, at the beginning of confession, you're supposed to state your state of life. So you go in and you say, I'm married, or I'm single, or I live alone, or I live in a house with six other people, or my job is this. To say something is an introduction that is going to kind of explain the sins that follow. So if you're going to start talking about your husband, the fact that you're married is kind of relevant. Um, you want to ex explain a context for what you're then going to say. But then what you want in terms of the details is you want the details that describe the sin. You don't really want details that describe your feelings. You don't want to details about your goldfish. You know, father doesn't care about your goldfish. Um, he wants to know the details that relate to the sin. He wants to know the details that help describe what you're trying to confess and to kind of focus yourself. Because you haven't got much time in confession. You want to be saying the stuff that's relevant. Now let me add a, a specific suggestion with respect to detail. St. Francis de Sales says... Don't confess names. Um, so don't go in and say, I did such and such to James, or Peter and I, whatever. What's relevant is somebody's relationship to you. So I did such and such to my husband rather than James. Because actually the fact it's your husband has a relevance and actually sheds a different light on the sin. So being... Impatient with James, well, why does James matter? Being impatient with your husband is slightly different. Your husband has a particular right to expect patience from his wife. Yeah? So avoid names um, in one sense because they're not relevant, but do try and articulate relationships in terms of what you're confessing. That is a relevant detail. Now, I said, um, think about detail, what's too much, what's too little. Um, confession is primarily about mortal sins, but the church um, strongly commends the confession of venial sins 
and even um, the document that came out from the Vatican um, for spiritual directors and confessors um, three years ago specifically said confessing um, imperfections. So I think part of their motive in that is to try and avoid people being overly scrupulous about was it a sin or was it an imperfection or what, that there's some things that are just good to confess. Um, but in terms of our prioritizing what we're going into confession to say, the mortal sins, the serious sins, the sins that in my life I need to be working on or are predominant at the moment, that's kind of the prioritizing of the structure of your confession. Let me add another detail that um, you might not hear um, too often. Um, what about sins that you've confessed or rather failed to confess? So you come out of confession and you realize you forgot to confess something. Uh, well, the church teaches um, the Council of Trent that mortal sins have to be confessed at your next confession. But if you forgot, or were too embarrassed, or for whatever reason, failed to confess them in your last confession, you can wait till the next confession and say them then. But they do need to be brought to the power of the keys in order to be unlocked. Whereas venial sins that we fail to confess um, are, it's said, uh, to be included in a general way. Um, in that confession. Um, all right, so hopefully that's a bit about frequency of confession, what to say in confession and the detail. I want to say a bit now about self-knowledge with respect to confession. Because one of the things that confession is so important for us isn't just about forgiveness of sins, though obviously... With respect to God, that is hugely important. But with respect to growing in the spiritual life, the way confession can help us in self-knowledge and growing in self-knowledge is one of the great gifts of it. So, as the philosopher Socrates famously said, know yourself. If you don't know yourself, you don't know what to do, where to go. That's got to be the starting point. And the habit of going to confession helps us come to know ourselves. So somebody who is loud and pushy and always being argumentative um, might not realize that because they lack self-knowledge. Um, the habit of confession can help them grow in self-knowledge. Somebody else who is so quiet and timid that they don't use the gifts God gives them that's kind of the other spectrum of how you can sin. That also is something you need to grow in self-knowledge. <coughs> so how do we grow in self-knowledge? Well, one of the ways is with an examination of conscience. So um, I've got here some samples um, for you to take away later. Um, these are all structured around the seven deadly sins. Um, the back copy here is um, in a size eight font and it's two sides. So that'll take quite a bit of nighttime reading there for you. Um, there can be lots of detail in the examination of conscience. The reason to write 
uh, to look at somebody else's written list is it can help act like a mirror. It can reflect back to us things that we don't see ourselves. So all the rest of the world knows what my nose looks like, but if I don't look in a mirror, I don't know, and if there's something ghastly at the end of it, I'll never see and do something about it. Um, a written examination of conscience can be like that. It can be a mirror to help us see ourselves better. But when you go into confession, um, I strongly recommend don't take a written sheet with you and read off the sheet. Uh, I have, sometimes I have people do that. Sometimes they'll come in and they'll have ticked different items. So, you know, who knows what would happen if somebody else got their list? No secrecy there at all. Um, you want to have internalized your confession. So even though I'd suggest you start with an examination of conscience sheet, um, you want to sufficiently internalize that, that you're then confessing it as if you're saying these things. You're not reading somebody else's list off a sheet. One of the ways to do that um, can be to write out your own list. Um, many times I do that still at the age of 45 and have many years as a priest and have many confessions over the years. Um, it's a way that I can go into confession and I don't need to be trying to remember because it's on a sheet in front of me. Um, other times the sins of that past week have been so regressively obvious, regressively the same as the last time that I don't need a sheet to write it down. Um, but that's one of the ways we can examine ourselves is with a, a written list. <coughs> I want to suggest to you a couple patterns for examining ourselves, examining ourselves better, um, many of which you may already practice, but first the practice of a nightly examination of conscience. So uh, following the practice of the monks in the monasteries uh, at Compline, they close the day with an examination of conscience, that the day is taken as a, a mini version of your whole life, that's just as you go to sleep at the end of the day, you will die at the end of your life. Um, at the end of the day, you pause in your activity. You just naturally reflect. It's a natural time to examine ourselves and to make that a, a regular practice. So at the end of the day, to think about the day, to thank God for the good things of the day, but also to see during the day what my sins this day have been and call them to mind. And that as a regular practice, a regular habit, obviously will naturally feed into making a better confession, make it much easier for me to be aware when I go to my confession. Another practice I'm sure many of you also are familiar with, what's called a, a general or a particular examination of conscience. So a general examination of conscience is of everything. Um, so I examine myself over all my sins. Um, there's another thing, though, called a particular examination, in which I'm examining myself about one particular thing. And in this practice, which was um, developed a lot by the Jesuits in their early years, um, the particular examine notes that every Christian who is serious about loving the Lord more, serious about growing in holiness, serious about battling with whatever in my life needs to be battled and conquered with and improved on, 
that you can't battle everything at once. You've got to pick your battles and work on particular things at a time. So each time I see my spiritual director, each month, I'll pick a, with him a, a different thing I'm going to be battling with the next month. Um, and with that, a different particular examination. So at the end of each day for that month, I'm going to be questioning myself, how have I been with respect to that particular thing? So that's a different way in which we can examine ourselves. And then when we're going to confession, this thing I've been working on this month, that's a, in a particular way part of what I'm bringing to confession. And it might well not be my most serious sin. Maybe my most serious sin is, is my anger and the way I beat my parishioners. Um, but I'm, what I'm actually focusing on at the moment is my laziness with response to the alarm clock first thing in the morning. Um, because that kicks off the way I'm going to engage with the day, whether the day is about my laziness or about my service of people, service of the people, which will all eventually feed into me being a little nicer to them and not beating them quite so hard. Um, so a particular examination, not necessarily about your most serious sin, but about a thing you're working on, and that that's part of what would then be in your nightly pattern. Now, as I said, the examination sheets I'm going to pass around later are structured around the seven deadly sins. Most of us, um, the more traditional structure for an examination of conscience is around the Ten Commandments. Um, and that's a good scriptural model, because obviously the Ten Commandments come directly from the Lord as a package of ten. The danger with focusing on the commandments is that we can make our sin very legalistic, very minimalistic, that if I've not committed adultery, then I don't need to worry about sins of sexual impurity in any other regard, because, you know, I... Um, now, when we focus instead of on the commandments on the seven deadly sins, each of those seven deadly sins is what is called a root sin, a root that has a whole bunch of stuff that grows out of it. Um, so with that, I'm seeing interconnectedness of things and hopefully seeing in myself how different sins relate to each other so that when I battle one thing, it helps me battle another. Um, so laziness can be related to selfishness, can be related to being late for other people, that I can see that there are different patterns of sin that in my life fit together so that battling one is a way of battling another. So a confession that is structured on the seven deadly sins can help focus on the patterns of sin and that can therefore help my confession, not just being articulating sins to be forgiven, but articulating something that is feeding into how I'm seeking to battle in the spiritual life and grow in holiness. Another thought on what to be saying in confession, um, sins of omission. Um, just in terms of things that it's very easy for us to fail to see are the things that actually aren't there 
rather than the things that aren't, are there, the sins of omission. Uh, I remember once hearing somebody, um, and actually they'd read it on, on my examination of conscience list, which uh, made me realize how poorly I'd phrased it. Um, they just said, and I've committed sins of omission, Father, full stop. Um, as if, whereas what we need to be saying in sins of omission is what they are. I have omitted to feed my son. I have omitted to do this deed I needed to do for somebody. I've omitted to say my prayers, to say what we've omitted. And it's much harder, obviously, to think of the things we've omitted that aren't there, but in examining ourselves, that is a, a hugely important thing to do. Now, I want to shift gears now. So I've talked about how often to confess, what to say in confession. Um, I want to think about how to get that confession to build out into the rest of our lives. So one thing, um, a purpose of amendment. Now, hopefully we all know that's one of the conditions of being sorry, to propose not to sin again. So... Um, if I steal from somebody and tell them I'm sorry, but I'm planning to do it again next Thursday, well, I'm not actually sorry. Um, a purpose of amendment is to intend not to do it again. And I might know with impatience that I've got quite a habit of impatience and I'm likely to do it again. Well, that's not the same thing as the fact that I have resolved not to do it again. I've decided not to do it again. So one of the things to make our confession feed out into the rest of our life is while we're making that confession to try and deepen that purpose of amendment, deepen that decision, I will not sin again. One of the tragedies in 1970s catechesis has been that version of an, exam, um, of an act of contrition that says, I will try not to sin again, which is, you know, even in the act of contrition has watered it down. Um, so let alone by the time you've got out the door. Um, so, purpose of amendment. One way to get the confession to feed out into the rest of your life. Resolutions. And many of the saints talk about the importance of making resolutions at various periods in our life. On a retreat, on a monthly reflection, but a really obvious time to be making a resolution is when we go to confession. So I confess something, I've seen something, that I'm, I'm working on something. I make some small plans, some small resolution of something I'm going to do, maybe just the next day, that's going to feed out from that confession into the rest of my life. So maybe I got annoyed with mom today and that annoyance with my mother I confess and I make a small resolution that when I greet her in the morning I'll greet her with a smile that the resolution isn't to do that every day but just thinking ahead the next morning I've made a small resolution that relates to my confession that's going to feed out into my life maybe I confess gluttony and I make a small resolution that as I'm leaving my confession at 11 o'clock in the morning, 
that I'm going to avoid the kitchen in the hour before supper. Because I know if I go in there, I'll start picking at things. Um, so, you know, just a small, specific resolution relating to my sin, relating to what I've confessed, that feeds out into my life. here's a different one, penance. So we all know we go to confession and we're given a penance by the priest. Um, what does that penance do? Well, that penance doesn't undo all of the damage of our sin. It's a sign that I am determined, I'm planning to engage in the penance I need to do for my sins in general. So if you get a plenary indulgence, that is the equivalence of penance for all your sins. But if you don't have a plenary indulgence, you've just got the confession that relates to your last confession, uh, the, sorry, the penance you were given when you last went to confession. That is, undoes some of the damage of your sin, but it doesn't undo all of it. So part of what you want to be resolving to take out of your confession is a desire to do more penance, to do more than just that minimal token you were given by the priest. Now you might not know this, but the priest is told in our guidance for how we are to assign penances that the penance we assign to you depends on your situation, on your capacity to fulfill it. So let's imagine a fairly lackluster Catholic who comes to confession and he confesses to me that he's cheated on his wife, that he's stolen at work, that he's done some pretty bad stuff. Um, now, what would be a proportionate penance for him to do? Well, maybe walking barefoot on pilgrimage to Lourdes in the winter. <laughs> but if I gave him that, that penance, that might be proportionate to the sin, um, but he wouldn't do it. He's, and I'm obviously giving a caricature here, but the person who is most in need of doing a big penance is probably going to be fairly spiritually weak. So he can only cope with being given a fairly small penance. So the fact that in general our practice in the church is to give small penances isn't because those in a sense are enough, but they're a sign of our Resolution are being sent out to do more penance in general for our sins and for our life. So St. Thomas Aquinas gives the image of when you have a fire and the fire's about to go out, if you put a massive big log of wood on it, um, you instantly put it out. If you put some small bits of wood on it, you can actually feed the flame bigger and then eventually it's ready to have a big piece of wood put on it. And penance is the same in our life. Uh, so just because maybe every time you go to confession, the priest again says three Hail Marys, um, it's not that that's undoing all of your sins damage. Um, it's a sign um, that the church is giving us to do penance in general. Okay, two final thoughts about knowing that you're a sinner and knowing you're forgiven. Um, these are just kind of a, a concluding thought about why it's good for us to go to confession, why we benefit from it. 
It's good for me to go to confession because it's good for me to know that I'm a sinner. Um, that if I don't know I'm a sinner, then I can wander around life thinking that everything that's wrong with the world is because of everybody else's fault. Uh, it's nothing to do with me. Um, whereas when I have humility, when I know I'm a sinner, that I'm a sinner, that puts all kinds of other things in perspective. So just earlier today at Mass, there were two old ladies squabbling, uh, as they tend to in my church. The lady in the front and the lady in the back. They, they disagree about what speed the responses of the Mass should be. So every single prayer, every single Mass, um, there's this battle going on all the time. Um, now, if I remember that I, too, am a sinner, and I, too, have my little quirks, and I'm not the perfect priest, then it's easier for me to kind of keep all that in perspective. Whereas when I don't have humility, when I don't see my own faults, and I am the perfect priest there with these lousy parishioners, um, <laughs> you know, then I can get all worked up. So it's good for me to know that I'm a sinner. But... The other thing, confession, and going to confession regularly helps me know I'm a sinner. Um, but the other thing it's good for me is it helps me know that I'm forgiven. That knowledge of sin isn't the end point. It's the beginning towards coming back to the Lord each time, being forgiven by the Lord each time, having a fresh start each time, to know that we're liberated from our guilt when we acknowledge it bring it to him and are forgiven for it. That there is one strain of psychology that says guilt is a bad thing. But actually, a conscience that doesn't function properly can function improperly in two ways. It can fail to see guilt when it's really there, or it can get obsessed when it isn't there. Um, and if you don't see your sin when it's there, that's not a healthy conscience. That's not something to be happy about. It's a sickness. It's good to see your sin. But what sets it free and enables it to be healthy and balanced within us um, is to come to confession, to hear those words that give us that forgiveness. So just to sum that all up, what have I said? Um, I started by talking about the frequency of confession, and I said that the frequency with which each of us goes to confession should depend on the frequency with which we use the other tools of the spiritual life, how often we pray, what prayers we say, and so forth. Talked about how to go to confession, about structuring the sins you say, prioritizing them, putting the serious sins clearly and articulately, but also the sins that you're struggling with and working on, even if they're not so serious. Talked about how confession helps us grow in self-knowledge and the importance of using an examination of conscience, of a nightly examination, of a particular examination of something I'm working on at the moment. Um, and of having that flow out into our life by a clearer purpose of amendment, resolutions for how I'm going to battle those sins I've confessed, um, and doing more than just the minimal assigned penance. And if we do all that, then we will know we're sinners, 
but also know and rejoice that we are forgiven by our good and loving Lord.